so first was um, for the online listeners um, was Mary born of Anne and Joachim. Uh, yeah, that's what tradition tells us is those were her parents. And then the second part was whether Anne and Joachim were without sin. Yeah, without original sin, we say no. Uh, that being without original sin was a unique privilege that only Mary experienced. Yep. All right, you want to dive into, um, well, dive back, because I skipped one of the things we believe about Mary. <clears throat> all right, so the fifth thing we believe about Mary is that she's the mother of all Christians. And then this can be broken down into three kind of subtopics. The first one is that she helped save us. So she worked with Christ to bring about our redemption. Uh, the, the, I guess the clearest um, way to put it is that, you know, if there was no Mary, there'd be no Jesus. And if there's no Jesus, then there's no redemption. So by saying yes to the angel Gabriel, she made our redemption possible. So that's kind of the most, I don't know, um, maybe surface level way in which she, she helped. I mean, that's a significant way that she helped in our redemption, but it goes even deeper. So we get um, uh, St. Paul in his letters. Uh, ooh, I forget which letter. He says, I make up what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. I make up for what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. This is, this is a baffling passage. How can you say that Christ's sufferings were lacking? So the way the church has understood this is that, did Christ redeem us? Yes. Does anybody else have to do anything for us to be redeemed? No. But in the mystery of salvation, Jesus invites us, who are members of his body, um, who become Christ through, through our baptism and our anointing, we're joined into him. Since we're joined into him, he invites us to participate in his work. So it's like a father letting his son like help him with, I don't know, fixing an appliance or whatever else or the mom helping not to be sexist the mom could be working on the appliance um a parent helping letting a child do something uh even though they could do it entirely themselves why because in some way for some reason it's it's good for us and god's big plan of salvation to to invite us into his work and so what paul is making up for is the work that he's invited to do with christ so if Paul can say that he is co-worker with God, he, he uses that phrase elsewhere, he's a co-worker of God, mediating salvation to people. If he can say that, Mary can say that all the more because she, she brought the Savior into the world. She stood by the cross. She said yes to, to God's plan every step along the way. So every step along the way, Mary works with Christ to bring about our salvation. Uh, we see this in a, in a startling way in uh, the life of Padre Pio. Uh, Padre Pio uh, was a priest 
<clears throat> in Italy in the mid 20th century. Uh, he's on YouTube. His last mass is, was recorded on YouTube, so he wasn't that long ago. He died in, I think, like 69, 68, something. Um, when he. So the reason I'm telling you the story about Padre Pio is because God makes external and visible in the life of Padre Pio what's true of all of us in a less visible way. So Padre Pio was just an extraordinary kind of guy. When he was a kid, he would have visions of Mary and Jesus. He would play with them. Uh, he thought it was normal. He thought everybody had visions. Then he went off to become a Franciscan and he was in the friary and just, you know, in conversation mentioned his latest visit from Jesus and Mary and the other friars were stunned. And he's like, wait, you guys don't, don't experience this too? He was just baffled. He thought it was normal. Uh, after or shortly before he was ordained a priest, uh, Jesus gave him the stigmata. The stigmata is when um, a person receives the wounds of Jesus in their body and experience in some way, in different ways, the, the sufferings of Christ on the cross. So every Friday he would experience um, uh, the, to some extent, the pains of the crucifixion. On Good Friday uh, each year, it was especially painful. He asked the Lord in the beginning to, to take him away, not because he didn't want to suffer, but because he didn't want people to see it. So God made them invisible for the first, I think, a year or two. And then from then on, they weren't. Uh, doctors came and investigated it. His own uh, friars, his own superiors and his order, uh, his religious order thought he was making stuff up. So they actually had it investigated. And um, doctor after doctor couldn't come up with an explanation for it. The wounds weren't healing. There was no like scar tissue. There was, uh, they would bleed continuously, um, but you couldn't pass anything through the holes. There was just a lot of, they would emit this sweet, like flower kind of smell from them. So there was all kinds of weird things uh, about him. And he would, he would suffer in other ways. He had these mysterious illnesses that would bring him to the brink of death, and then he would get better. Um, so all kinds of strange phenomenon with Padre Pio. Why? Because God was making visible for everyone to see. He became a sign for everyone of what's true for all of us in a different way, not a visible external way, but an internal. Jesus was inviting Padre Pio to share in the work of his cross to help bring about the salvation of, of others, of all of us. And he invites us into the same work, to become co-workers with him on the cross. We might not have the stigmata, but we have our own sufferings, whatever shape and form those might take. And if we join those sufferings to Christ's sufferings on the cross, they can really do something good for others and, and for, for ourselves. And so this is the big thing that that teaching that um, Mary helps save us protects, that Jesus invites us into his work. All right, next, Mary prays for us. This is probably the, the, the simplest to, to get. We pray for other people. Uh, death doesn't separate us. We've talked about this with the communion of saints. So Mary especially prays for us. And then the third one, she mediates grace for us. 
the birth of Jesus into the world is the clearest example of this. Jesus is the divine life itself. Grace is a participation in that divine life. Mary mediated Jesus, God himself, into the world. And linked with that, for some reason, God, God chose to make her role um, as the mediator of God into the world, kind of a permanent role uh, within the church. But she's not the only mediator. Um, to lesser degrees, priests are mediators. They mediate the sacraments by mediating the sacraments. They mediate salvation for us. St. Paul, um, we'll talk about this. Um, so what we say about Mary is just to a preeminent extent, she mediates the graces of salvation. Why does she get to so pre, on such a preeminent level to mediate grace? Because she was the, the mother of God and because she she participated most intimately with Christ on the cross. So she gets to participate most intimately in the disbursement of, of the graces won from the cross. All right. So that's what we believe about Mary, and all of it should bring us to Jesus. This is an image of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Um, you, this painter, I forget his name, his first name, but you can find him at Smith Catholic Art. He has some paintings of the Sacred Heart and, and other saints too. So a couple things you might see in the images of Mary. Uh, one, you already pointed out the flaming heart. So this we refer to as the Immaculate Heart of Mary, referring to her Immaculate Conception, that her heart is pure. In the beginning of chapters of Luke, we see Mary um, bringing Jesus into the temple, and Simeon greets Mary and, and foretells that a sword will pierce her heart. Uh, the sword of losing Christ on the cross, uh, um, participating with Christ in his sufferings, a sword will pierce her heart. So that's why her heart is pierced with a sword. I don't know what the flowers are. Anybody know? No. All right. Uh, there's a. Yeah, you can only faintly see it here. There's a star here and a star on her forehead. You'll see this in, in a lot of images, especially icons. It represents her virginity uh, before, during, and after the birth. Okay, now we'll got, dive into uh, our devotion to Mary. So not only are, do our beliefs about Mary lead us to Jesus, but also our devotions to Mary, like the rosary, uh, scapular, all those things. So first... Um, the church claims several apparitions occurred where Mary has appeared to somebody. Uh, they take place in different parts of the world. One is Our Lady of Guadalupe, where she appeared to uh, St. Juan Diego in Mexico in the 1500s, at the same time as the Protestant Reformation was going on in Europe. Uh, Mary appeared in Mexico. Other ones are uh, Fatima, Portugal. In the 1900s, Mary appeared to three children. Um, Lourdes in the 1800s, Mary appeared to St. Bernadette in France. Uh, Our Lady of Cobejo, Mary appeared in Africa. Mary appeared in Japan, Akita, I think. I think that's Japan. 
Um, anyway, there's lots of there's lots of apparitions. I, actually, uh, Our Lady of America, where did that get discredited? There's one legitimate apparition in in America. I think it's Wisconsin. Mary appeared there. There are illegitimate apparitions or so-called apparitions. Uh, one of my professors at Franciscan, one of his jobs would be to investigate uh, supposed apparitions of Mary. Uh, there's this lengthy process to confirm that it's legit. Um, and he told us the story of this one woman. I don't I don't think he told us where she was, but she claimed to ha be having visions of Mary. And so he went and visited her and her message was very austere. Like Mary was telling her to to like not eat. Um, except very small amounts of food each day to do these severe works of penance. And she amassed a, a sizable group of followers. Um, but then uh, the professor and others discovered under her bed a large stash of of food. I'm like, oh, there's a red flag. And there was lots of red flags. Like, I think she claimed that Mary was the fourth person of the Trinity. I guess I wouldn't be the Trinity anymore. There were lots of red flags. And so it was just, nope, not legit. Uh, so the church doesn't just grab every claim that Mary appears and, and embraces it. It actually takes a long time for the church to actually give her stamp of approval. And her immediate reaction to every claim of an apparition or a miracle is, is doubt, actually. Why doubt? Because the church wants to only give glory to God and not to made up stories. And our faith doesn't rest on miracles and it doesn't rest on apparitions. They're kind of a, an add-on that are nice. But the church could could perfectly well go without them. All right. So with that in mind, uh, one approved apparition is Our Lady of Guadalupe. Oh, this is really cool. So I know you've seen the image because it's everywhere, especially in America. Um, she's the. Uh, um, oh, never mind. I forgot what I was going to say. So in the 1500s, she appears to this this guy, uh, Juan Diego in in mexico and during this time um the spanish had just recently conquered the area so christianity had been introduced but not many people were christian the majority of people were uh practiced uh, the aztec religion and the aztec religion was rather brutal uh around the time i wrote this down around the time of juan diego one-fifth of every child, uh, one fifth of the children, <laughs> not one fifth of every child, one fifth of the children would be sacrificed every year. Um, they dedicated a new temple when Juan Diego was 13 years old, uh, and they sacrificed 40,000 people in four days and nights. Uh, uh, ancient account, um, a non Christian account of it described the bodies being piled up and the smell being so strong that people were like fleeing the city um, because it was so atrocious. So this is this is the land and the time in which in which Mary appears. And what does Mary ask for? Mary asked Juan Diego to go to the bishop and request that a church be built for her son. Ah. Jesus, Mary is always trying to bring people to her son. She didn't say, build me a shrine. She said, go and build a, ask the bishop to build a church for my 
sun. And uh, where this image comes from is uh, the bishop, again, initial reaction is doubt and wants a sign that this is legitimate. And Mary tells Juan Diego to take up some flowers growing in the middle of winter from this hill and put them in his tilma. And so he ro rolls them up in his tilma, all excited, thinking that the roses were the, the sign because it's the middle of winter. And he takes him to the bishop and he un unrolls the tilma and the flowers fall down. And on his tilma is this image of, of Mary. So that's the sign that Mary gave. And the, the image is really cool. There's a lot of mysterious things about it, like the uh, they examined it under a high-powered microscope and found that the, the pigment doesn't actually touch the, the tilma. Uh, it's suspended above it. Um, the elements that make up the pigment, they can't, like, it, they're not found on the periodic table. Uh, they magnified her eyes, and in her eyes, you can see reflections of people in the room, like the bishop and, I don't know, a couple of the people that would have been there. But they're inverted, or however they would actually look like in an eye. Um, yeah, I forget. There's something about the stars matching the constellations. I don't know. I forget all the details. A lot of cool stuff about the people tried to burn it and blow it up, but it would be it would be totally fine. The tilma, the material that the tilma is made out of, should have deteriorated within I think like 50 years, um, but it's lasted 500 years. Um, and so, aside from the cool things about the, the tilma, the main points and the whole point about the sign is that Mary is bringing people to Jesus. And within seven years, seven million Aztecs became Christian. Seven million within seven years. That's quite a, that's quite a track record for, for Mary. All right, so apparitions. Prayers also uh, are devotions to Mary, our prayerful devotions to Mary, also lead us to Jesus. So the one I'll focus on is the, the rosary. So the rosary, oh, it dates back a long time, uh, at least to the 1200s, probably before that. Um, I think it was started because a lot of people couldn't read, and and so they couldn't sit down with the Gospels and think and read about the life of Jesus. Um, they couldn't sit down with the Psalms and pray the Psalms. So instead, they would pray Our Fathers and Hail Marys while thinking about the life of Jesus. And then that developed into the rosary that we have today. So the rosary is all about meditating on the life of Jesus. You go through, if you pray all the mysteries of the rosary, you got the Annunciation, you got his birth, you got miracles, uh, you got his death on the cross, you got his preaching, you got the Eucharist, you got, you got a huge sampling of Jesus's life. So you, you, uh, the heart and soul of it is meditating on those while praying. So the purpose of the prayers, so you're saying the Hail Marys over and over and over, and then there are Father and et cetera. The purpose of it is not um, to like win God's favor by saying prayers over and over. So that's the kind of repetitious prayer that Jesus condemns in the gospel, thinking that the more words you say, the more favor you, you earn. That's not the point of the repetition. The point of the repetition is to invite Mary into your prayer, to ask for her help, 
But then it also establishes this rhythm that when practiced and done well actually serves to aid your mind in reflecting on the mysteries. So it's like holding Mary's hand as she leads you along the, the life of Jesus. Um, the, the beads, uh, there's a lot of cool things about the rosary just on a natural level. So it makes a lot of sense that God would use it. They found with people suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, just, just physically like thumbing through uh, rosary beads or something else similar uh, would lower their stress levels and help them cope. Um, yeah, I guess that's the only thing I got about on the natural level. I heard some more things, but it's uh, um, Jesus, of course, wants more than just reduce our our stress levels. But that's a cool, cool side effect. All right, so that's the rosary, meditating on Christ's life. Then we also have this thing called consecration. Uh, there was a uh, saint. It didn't originate with him, but he kind of uh, brought it to the forefront of the church. Uh, Saint Louis de Montfort. Uh, he lived in the 1700s, and he wrote a book called True Devotion to Mary. It's pretty, it's um, like of all of all the Catholic books, it's the one to receive the most endorsements from a pope or from popes of any book, second to the Bible. So it's uh, St. John Paul II, I heard, would carry it around, carry a copy of it around in his pocket. So it's it's had a big impact on people. The style that it's written in, uh, can be a turnoff for some. So there's more, uh, there's other books where they take the same ideas as Louis de Montfort, but then like put it in a more modern language that's less, like he uses the language of slave a lot, which um, is biblical, but some people are uh, for good reasons turned off by that language. But anyway, St. Louis de Montfort, what he did is he would go around all over the place preaching about Mary and encouraging people to consecrate themselves to Mary, to give everything they have to Mary <clears throat> so that Mary can take all that they have and give it to Jesus. And he, uh, there's this one story, he was preaching this retreat about Mary in the church, and next door there was a bar. I don't know why the church was located right next door to a bar, but it was, and he could, the windows were, were open and he could hear the people, a group of guys in the bar um, making fun of Mary. And so he stops his retreat and he goes next door to the bar and he beats up all the guys. And then he comes back and <laughs> resumes preaching about, about Mary because he, he wants to defend his mother's honor. Yeah. I don't know. Not everything that the saints did is something that we should imitate or say, oh, that was, that was wonderful. But you kind of get a sense of uh, the guy he was uh, when he when he finished seminary, um, he, he was given this new suit um, and he immediately gave it to a poor person on the side of the road and traded clothes with him. <laughs> All right. So that's that's Louis de Montfort. He wrote a book called True Devotion to Mary, and he preached on this. And the basic idea is give everything that you have to Mary, all your prayer intentions, all the merits of the good deeds that you do, all your sufferings, everything that you have, consecrate it to Mary. Because what does Mary do? Mary brings everything to Jesus. Uh, I, an image I think he uses is like, 
you want to present, uh, you have this shiny apple and you want to present it to Jesus, but you've kind of mucked it up. You know, you've dropped it on the ground. It's a little bruised, a little scuffed up. Now you could just hand that straight to Jesus and Jesus would love it. He would love you. Or you could give it to his mother and his mother could shine it up a little bit, clean it off, put it on a nice platter, surround it with like other fruits. I don't know, whatever else, drizzle some chocolate syrup on it and then give it to his son, her son. Uh, so that's that's kind of an image, maybe a childish image, but it's an image of what Mary does with all that we offer uh, her. And so that's that's the, the idea of consecration. So it it the the whole thing about it is not to detract from Jesus. Jesus is our savior. And only Jesus is our savior, but Mary can bring us to, to him. Uh, two expressions of this are found in the scapular and the miraculous metal. Uh, so uh, a long time ago in the 1200s, I think, uh, tradition says uh, Mary appeared to this guy, St. Simon Stock. Um, he was called Simon Stock because he lived in the stump of a tree. He was like an ascetic. Uh, he was a Carmelite too. And uh, she appeared to him and gave him a scapular, brown scapular, and said and promised that whoever died wearing the scapular wouldn't suffer hell. And then the church, the church, uh, I guess, investigated it, approved it, and then eventually opened the door because originally it was just for Carmelites, because it was part of their habit that they would wear the scapular. Then the church made it available um, to, to all people and made it smaller, because <laughs> before it was this huge cloak kind of thing, but you can't, lay people can't walk around with this huge scapular. So it made it smaller. So you got the smaller version of the scapular and the church endorses those, those promises. And then the other one is the Miraculous Medal. In the 1800s, uh, Mary appeared to, oof. Anybody remember her name? No, ah, I forget her name. She was, a, she was a saint, she was a nun who, no, not Bernadette. That's a good guess, because she also lived in the 1800s. Not Faustina, she's Polish. Oh, did I say the country? She was in France. I probably didn't say the country. Faustina is a great guess. Not her, anyway. Whoever it was, Mary appeared to her during the time of lots of um, a, a lots of trouble. Priests were getting killed in the street. There was a big persecution of of the Catholic Church, um, and gave her this medal and made similar promises with the scapular, just that whoever would wear this medal would receive lots of graces. Um, so the the point of these. St. Catherine, Labore, St. Catherine Labore. That's the only French word I know how to pronounce. Um, these, thanks for looking that up. These, uh, the point of these is not to be superstitious that, oh, if you just, like when I was a kid, I got the lucky rabbit's foot. Anybody do those? Yeah, or the lucky coin. I was, I just, dove right into all those gimmicks. This is not, this is not a gimmick like those are. Uh, so it's not like 
these objects have some kind of special power, and if you put them on you, then you'll receive their power. That's not the point of it at all. The point of it is that these become a sign of your internal devotion to Jesus. By putting on the scapular, by putting on the metal, you are saying, I entrust myself to you. So it's really an act of prayer. So that's where the power, the power, the graces come from is the act of, of trust that you're um, entrusting yourself to Mary and through Mary, you're entrusting yourself to Jesus. So that's why such great promises are, are attached to it. Uh, you also get a cool summary of everything we believe about Mary on the miraculous medal, everything except her virginity. Uh, Mary conceived without sin. We got the Immaculate Conception. Pray for us. She prays for us. Uh, she's standing on the world. She was assumed into heaven. She's stepping on the snake. She helps save us. Uh, she has her arms opened with rays coming out. It's her mediating grace to us. On the back, you have the the M for Mary, but also for Mother, uh, connected with the cross. Um, you got the 12 stars around there for Queen of Heaven. All right. Pretty neat. So you got a little cheat sheet. You know, if you ever get a pop quiz about what you believe about Mary as a, as a Catholic, you can pull out your miraculous medal. All right. So that's Mary. Any questions, thoughts? Concerns about Mary? Then we'll close with Advent. All right. Here's Advent. Just two points about, about Advent. Uh, because you all know Advent is about preparing for Jesus. It's about preparing... <sighs> okay. So, as biblically-minded people, we look at the way God works. And God, God works in a very mysterious way with time. So here's a clear example. The Exodus, when the Israelites are in Egypt and God sets them free, they celebrate the Passover meal. And through celebrating the Passover meal, they're spared the, the angel of death, and then they're able to, to go free. Then God instructs them after they've gone to celebrate that meal every year and celebrate it as though they are leaving Egypt then. So when your son asks, why are we doing this? The reply is, um, oh, I forget what the reply is, the, the exact reply. Basically, we're being set free from, from Egypt. So it's not just like a, a fond remembrance of something that's happened in the past, but in a very mysterious way, it's a, it's a making present now what God accomplished in the past. Uh, the greatest expression of this is in the Mass, where Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is made present in a very real way uh, in the sacrifice of the Mass. But this is kind of the same mentality behind the whole liturgical cycle of the, of the Church. We don't just... When we go through Lent, we don't just like think back fondly on what Jesus did on the cross. We're supposed to enter into that mystery and relive it in some mysterious way. Same thing with Advent. Uh, we're not supposed to just think fondly back to that night in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. We're supposed to enter into that mystery and really prepare 
for Jesus coming now. So when is what what coming are we preparing for? Two comings. One, Jesus is coming at the end of time. When that be? When that will be? We don't know, so we have to prepare. The other coming we're preparing for is the coming that happens every day, every moment of the day, every mass, every time you receive the Eucharist, uh, every time God comes to the door of your heart and knocks, is the coming of Jesus. And so we 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 prepare for that too. So how do we prepare? Uh, the church has always upheld three things: fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. Uh, it's talked about in Lent a lot, but it's always the way the church prepares for everything. Uh, fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. Uh, and it's, I would encourage you, if you want to enter into this, this season, uh, to think of a way, not uh, like maybe you're giving up, um, like a common thing people give up in Lent is like sweets or something like that. That's well and good, but it's not the most meaningful thing you could do. Uh, Christ and throughout scripture always prized almsgiving more than fasting, like caring for the poor is always more important to God uh, than fasting. But the like the powerhouse is when you can combine all three. Um, so an example uh, I really like to buy books. I like to buy books so much that I'm not going to give it up. Advent. But if I did, I could give up buying books, and every time I want to buy a book, I take that money and I give it to the poor instead. So you see, it's a combination of fasting and, and almsgiving. Um, and then say a prayer for the poor uh, when I'm giving it. Uh, so that's something I would do if I was more free and more more of the kind of guy who gets up in the middle of the night to take care of the baby. But I'm working up to that. So uh, anyway, I would encourage you to uh, um, if you to enter into the season deeply uh, to think of a way to couple those those three prayer, fasting and almsgiving. All right. Cool. This was great. Let me just check real quick to see if anybody had any. Uh, um, uh, questions. And then we'll say a prayer. Anybody have any live questions? So you don't just have to look at me looking at my phone. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I get to. No, I don't want to update. Making me sign in. Did anybody have an anonymous question? I guess it's not anonymous. I can't get to them. I don't want to leave you hanging or disappointed. Get stressed? That's a great question. Uh, so there's kind of two camps. The, the church has no official position on this. There's kind of two camps in theology. There's like the, the maximalists of uh, Marian teaching who think Mary was more or less superhuman and so didn't experience much of the troubles that we experienced. But then there's kind of the more down to earth uh, Marian people. Uh, so I would I would side more with probably by the way I described the two camps. You can tell that I side more with the down to earth camp. 
Uh, and, and it does seem like in scripture, I mean, Mary, when Jesus gets lost in the temple, confronts him and says, you know, why did you do this to us? We're so anxious. So it seems, yeah. Yeah. Anxiety is not an obstacle to holiness, which is, which is good. All right. Shall we close with prayer? Anybody want to lead us? Yeah, sure. Me do it? Okay, perfect. <laughs> Name of the Father and the Son. Yes, you're right. Name of the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. All right, thank you all for coming. Enjoy your night.